Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Welcome back. I'm Ken Baer, pastor at Faith Dialogue, a non-denominational church here in Celebration, Florida. And we're in a sermon series called Unstoppable, based on the New Testament book of the Acts of the Apostles. Today we'll begin in uh, chapter 18 of the book of Acts. In chapter 17, the previous chapter, we saw Paul and Silas ministering in Thessalonica. And then Paul went on to Athens alone. Now here he was in the cultural center of, of Greece. Um, it's a, uh, Athens was a, was a huge city. In fact, today it's the capital of all of Greece. Um, and there were two groups that were specifically mentioned. One was the Epicureans and the other was the Stoics. Now both of these groups of people followed a philosophy based on, on paganism. And when Paul began to speak, they encouraged him to go to the Argopolis uh, to know, and we know that as, as Mars Hill. So on Mars Hill, some of the greatest minds, at least in their minds, would gather and discuss the, the latest philosophies of the day. Uh, Paul introduced Jesus by mentioning the altar uh, that was dedicated to the unknown God. You know, while Paul did an admirable job in speaking and summarizing for them the plan of salvation, he was likely disappointed. He did have two initial converts, which illustrates that God moves on the hearts and minds and, and, uh, and spirit of men and women independently of what's around them. God can accomplish things that, that we don't have the slightest idea how he's going to accomplish it. Our job is just to be faithful in ministering the, the word of God. Uh, but here's the thing, in, in Athens, because of the paganism combined with the immorality that was so pervasive, Athens was one of the last cities in the Roman Empire uh, to abandon paganism. In fact, these altars that Paul talked about and saw back in, in 50 AD were still there well into the 7th century. So let's begin today in chapter 18, and Paul leaves Athens and heads to Corinth. Verse 1, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation, they were tent makers. So let's pause here for a moment at verse 3 and talk about this city, Corinth. You know, we're likely familiar with the name Corinth because we know of two epistles called the Letters to the Corinthians. Uh, this is a very large city, uh, much larger even than Athens. However, while Athens was a cultural center that was also steeped and immersed in paganism and the resulting immorality, Corinth had a completely different reputation. In some ways, you can compare Corinth in Paul's day to, uh, to modern-day Las Vegas. You know the saying, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Corinth was a wealthy town. It had been rebuilt by Julius Caesar in 46 BC, and it was a, a harbor town. 
It had been destroyed by the Romans a hundred years later in one of the last battles that they had along with the Battle of Carthage to basically um, take all of the city-states in Greece and establish the Roman Empire. Now to live in Corinth at that time was to live in one of the newest, trendiest, most modern and exciting and wealthiest towns of the Roman Empire. It was one of the most influential commercial and manufacturing centers and just like modern-day Las Vegas there was also plenty of opportunities for sin. Like Athens, Corinth had its many temples and places of religion so you can add religion to the more appropriate um, um, examples or descriptions of these people of Corinth because they were self-indulgent uh, they were decadent and they were self-absorbed. The thing that Corinth was known for more than anything else was sex. According to a site by Pastor Allen on ancient Corinth, Plato used the, the term Corinthian girl as another name for a, a prostitute. And the ancient world would refer to promiscuous people as living just like the Corinthians. So let's get back to the scripture. Paul arrives in Corinth and we meet two important people and we'll see them actually four times, a total of four times in the New Testament. It's Aquila and Priscilla. And, and the scriptures tell us a, a couple of things about them. Number one, they were kicked out of Rome along with a number of other Jews. And by the way, this is verified by historians. It happened during the reign of Claudius, the emperor of Rome, um, in, uh, who would reign from 41 to 51 AD, uh, 54 AD. And the second thing we know about them is that they were, were tent makers. We're also informed that Paul was a tent maker and they worked together. Now Paul refers to his desire to, to work and to earn a living um, in order to not be a burden to anyone in the church. You know, to this day, um, more, than, more than half, uh, probably the vast majority of people that are called to minister the gospel um, work either full or part-time jobs to provide the financial assistance and the financial support they need for their real passion, which is to preach the Word of God. Uh, these ministers are all called to this day tent makers. Now this friendship between Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila was, was important. And Aquila and Priscilla are mentioned, like I said, four times in the New Testament. And most of the times, except for this time here, most of the time Priscilla is, is mentioned first. Now this, is, this, is, this was rare to have the female even mentioned in a historical document, let alone be mentioned first. So obviously she, was, she had very key ministries. She was, she was very diligent in, in ministering and, and using the gifts that, that, uh, that God had, had given her. You know, the church isn't given enough uh, credit for promoting equality and opportunities for women. Now Pr Priscilla and Aquila were a, a married couple and they ministered together, they worked together, and they supported Paul's ministry, and they obviously had a, a very active ministry. Uh, it's said that two are, are better than one. Uh, when a husband and a wife minister together in a church, in the mission field, even volunteering, serving, uh, stuffing envelopes, or setting up chairs, or working with children, uh, anything they do, uh, it's, it's, a, it's the very best quality time that they could have together when they minister together side by side. So let's continue. And he, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. 
and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. So we see that Silas and Timothy catch up with Paul in Corinth and we get a little more of what transpired in Paul's epistles. When Timothy came, he brought good news about how the Christians and Thessalonia were remaining steadfast in the faith. That's what it says in, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Uh, and this brought Paul great joy. It says that Paul was compelled, that's the word that the scripture uses, compelled by the Spirit. It's likely around this time, historians believe, that Paul wrote his very first epistle, which was the epistle to the Thessalonians. It was based on Timothy's good report. And the timing of this is right around 51 AD. So let's continue, verse six. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, your blood be upon your own heads, I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshiped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. You know, our, our friend Dr. Luke, who's recording these major events, records basically the next important thing that happens. And what the next thing that happens with Paul is these stiff-necked Jews not only oppose Paul, but it says they blasphemed. Now, if Dr. Luke mentioned that they blasphemed, it means that it was directed towards the Lord Jesus, as Paul was testifying to the, Jew, to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. That's Acts chapter 15, or chapter 18, verse 5. And someone can really only blaspheme God. So Paul shakes his garments, and this is similar to what Jesus mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew. He said, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off of your feet. You know, it's a common custom in cultures even that, that, that survives to this day. Paul then says something that he likely was avoiding. He says, from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Now, now, Paul loved the Jews and had always gone and preached to the Jews first. But here it's obvious that his ministry is being directed by God to the Gentiles. Now, there's a lesson for us here as well. Jesus said something that some of us find hard to understand. It's recorded in the seventh chapter of Matthew. Jesus said, do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. You know, sometimes you may find yourself sharing the, the gospel out of love, but you're not getting any love in return. Sometimes when people are determined to not only reject the gospel, but also ridicule your faith, and he that you have your faith in, which is the Lord Jesus, Sometimes the best thing to do is just to move on. Paul says something interesting. He says, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the, to the Gentiles. Now, back in Ezekiel 33, and you can read it, Ezekiel speaks of the watchman on the wall. And basically what he says, he says, oh, here, O Israel, you appoint a watchman, one of your own, to be the watchman on the wall. And when you see the enemy approaching, that watchman needs to blow the blow the horn, blow the, blow the trumpet. 
And if the people hear the trumpet, okay, but don't defend themselves, then the blood is not on your hands because you've given them warning. You've given them warning. But if you don't blow the trumpet, if you don't tell them that the enemy's coming, the blood, is, their blood is on your head. And this is what Paul is referring to when he says, he says, um, your blood be upon your own head. So Paul most likely is referring to this, this comment or this, this understanding from, uh, from the Old, Old Testament prophet Ezekiel. So it says, so Paul shook his garments, dramatically expressing his rejection of their blasphemy. Then he tells them he's not responsible for their blood. However, Dr. Luke doesn't leave us here. This is kind of a low moment for the, for the ministry of Paul. He, he's rejected and he's departing from the Jews. The scripture says that Crispus, who is the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. Now, being the ruler of a, a synagogue is similar to being a, a caretaker, being the manager. He wasn't necessarily the head preacher. He wasn't, he wasn't possibly wasn't even a Pharisee. Um, however, this must have given Paul great joy because this is one of his own. This is one of his Jewish brothers that comes to the Lord based on the ministry of Paul along with his entire household. It's, it's a, and also it says a great number of people from Corinth. So again, we're back on a, a high, high, high point. So let's continue. Verse 9. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak. And do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you or hurt you, for I have many people in the city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Now, this is, this is likely the greatest boost that Paul could have received. Um, probably the greatest boost in Paul's ministry since, he was, it was, since Jesus knocked him off his donkey. The Lord speaks to Paul in a vision and strengthens him tells him not to be afraid, to keep on preaching the word. We don't see any evidence that Paul would have been afraid, but why not? I mean, he's been stoned, he's been thrown out of the city, he's been left for dead, he's been thrown in prison, uh, he's, been, he's been whipped and put in shackles. So there's a lot of reason for Paul to be afraid, and the Lord strengthens Paul. It's kind of reminiscent of when uh, God was speaking to, to Elijah. And Elijah was feeling all alone and he was scared to death uh, because uh, Jezebel was after Elijah. And, and God said to him, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel whose knees have not bowed down to, a to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So, so the Lord strengthens. Not only does the Lord strengthen, but the Lord is also doing ministry sometimes that, that you don't even know about. Then the scriptures tell us that Paul spent 18 months in Corinth. This is a long time, 18 months. Remember, Paul is on a missionary journey, but he stops and he pauses and he spends 18 months in, in Corinth. Uh, scriptures record that this is the second longest time that he ever spent anywhere other than Ephesus. And we won't see that until Paul's third missionary journey. Notice the comment on Paul's ministry during the time. He was teaching the word of God. Now, Paul was no a traveling evangelist. He was an apostle that not only ministered to people, but planted churches and made sure that they were well on their way to self-sufficiency, meaning that they would be able to teach and to preach and to encourage and the church would continue to grow. That's why he stayed in, in Corinth as long as he did, growing the church. Let's continue. Verse number 12. 
When Gallio was proconsul in Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, You know, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be a reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names of your own law, look to it yourself. For I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. From time to time, Dr. Luke, our historian and the author of the Acts of the Apostles, gives us a related fact that helps us date this occurrence. The scripture says that this brief trial or hearing before the Roman governor happened when Gallio was proconsul and Achaia. Historians tell us that Gallio, which is verse 12, was proconsul of Achaia from 51 to 52 AD. So it, it really gives us a good idea of exactly when Paul was ministering in Corinth. Remember that in our previous chapters and previous locations, the local citizenry or the people would sometimes, even though they had no need for the Romans, who basically were their conquerors, would turn to the Roman leaders uh, when it suited them. And this is exactly what was happening. It was convenient for them to try to get rid of Paul, and they accused Paul of breaking the laws of Rome. This is similar to what we saw in Philippi when the Jews charged that Paul was doing something contrary to the Roman law. But Gallio sees through their scheme, and he basically says, uh, and he goes one step further, and he says that the debate was between the words and laws in your own law, meaning their religion. So in, in essence, uh, by doing this, he's actually granting Christianity, the disciples of Jesus, almost a protected status, a kind of a subset of, of Judaism. This decree actually provided Christians some protection under the law for, for a while. According to the religious scholar Richard Longnecker, Gallio's action was tantamount to recognizing Christianity as a, as a licensed religion. Now, this is a defeat for the Jews and a victory for Paul who doesn't actually say anything in his defense. It says, while Paul was getting ready to respond, while Paul was even getting ready to respond, so Paul didn't even respond. Now, we also hear, this, hear about this unfortunate man, Sothenes, and he's said to be the ruler of the synagogue. So obviously, when Crispus becomes a believer in Jesus Christ, he's, he's, he's fired. Okay, He's replaced as ruler of the synagogue by Sothenes. Now, that sometimes sometimes happens. In fact, what I've told people is one of the best indications that you have a real and radical faith is if you lose your job because of your faith. The scriptures say then that all the Greeks, all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the, the, before the judgment seat. Since it mentions the Greeks and it doesn't mention that these were believers, these were Greeks who had more against the Jews than they did against Paul. And notice that Gallio does nothing. He turns a, a blind eye. There's an interesting tidbit here. A few years later in Ephesus, Paul would write to these believers in Corinth. And he begins his letter this way. This is, this is the uh, first letter of, uh, of the Corinthians. It says, Paul, 
called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sothenes, our brother, to the church of God which is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, and with all who in every place call on the name of, the, of Jesus Christ as Lord, both theirs and ours. So Sothenes takes a beating by the hands of the Greeks, but ultimately he becomes a, a believer and a disciple and a companion of Paul as Paul travels on to Ephesus and he actually becomes a co-author. Can you get that? A co-author of this letter back to his home church in Corinth. So let's finish up. Paul's long stay in Corinth and we'll see again this ministry of Priscilla and Aquila, um, companions of Paul. Verse 18, so Paul still remained a good while. When then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Quilla were with him. He had his hair cut off at Centuria, and, and for he had taken a vow. Notice Paul doesn't get forced out of Corinth, as he had in other cities. He was there for 18 months, and he decided when he wanted to leave. Jesus had been faithful in his promise that he had made to Paul. Because Jesus had said, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent for I am with you and no one will attack you or hurt you for I have many people in this city. Now, let's talk about this vow for a moment that Paul and Paul cutting his hair. The scripture tells us that Paul had his hair cut off at Centuria. Uh, this is actually a port of Corinth. So Paul cuts off his hair before he sails, and the scriptures tell us that this is because Paul had taken a vow. Most scholars believe this is most likely a Nazarite vow, um, and the Nazarite vow has a number of different things attached to it, like remember Samson had was a Nazarite, but one of the primary things is letting your hair grow long and, and not eating the fruit of the vine, uh, no grapes or wine. Um, the Nazarite vow also requires that hair be not be cut but it will be cut off at the end of the vow and then offered to the Lord in a special ceremony in Jerusalem. This vow of Paul's is the lone exception um, to actually much silence in the New Testament about vows. Actually, most of the comments in the, uh, in the Bible about vows are, are negative. Samson, for example, was a Nazarite but violated every single pledge of the Nazarite vow. Some of you may be familiar with the rash and stupid vow made by the ancient judge of Israel named Jephthah. I, I remember reading this for the first time and I, and I had to read it again. I just couldn't believe it. Jephthah, who was the judge, vowed that whatever would walk um, out of his door on his victorious return from battling the Amorites would be offered as, up to God as a, as a burnt offering. A person walking out of his door would be offered to God as a burnt offering. God never required people to be sacrificed in burnt offerings. This is stupid. And guess what? Unfortunately, it was his own daughter that walked out of the door. And then we'll see when we get to Acts 23 that there are 40 men who take a vow that they're not going to eat or drink until they, until they kill Paul. Uh, they were unsuccessful, and I'm sure they started to eat and drink long before um, they started dying uh, of, of, of uh, hunger or thirst. You know, we don't know why uh, Paul took this vow, because the Bible doesn't say. I, I believe it had something to do with this vision from the Lord and the protection that was promised, but that's just, that's just my speculation. So let's continue. Verse 19, and this will conclude our lesson for today. And he came to Ephesus and left them there. 
but he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay a longer, with, a longer time with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means continue this feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. And when he had landed in Caesarea, he had gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. You know, Paul had a desire to travel to Ephesus uh, years before, actually over, over two years before. Now, Ephesus is on the other side of the Aegean side from Corinth. It's basically, again, the Aegean Sea is the dividing line between uh, Europe and Asia. If you recall, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia that said, come to us. Um, and Paul had fulfilled that portion of his journey for now. God has a, has a purpose in your life, just as he had a purpose in Paul's life. Often God will say, wait, and we need to wait. Often we may be praying for something and you haven't even really heard from God. And it appears that God may be saying no, but it very well could be that God is saying, wait, just wait. God will fulfill all of the things that he has in store for your life. But sometimes we have to have to wait. So Paul comes to Ephesus, and the scripture says he left them there. Now, that's referring to Aquila and Priscilla, who stayed in Ephesus, apparently at, at Paul's request. While the time spent in Ephesus on his second missionary journey is short, it is productive, and he leaves his precious friends and fellow tent makers in Ephesus to teach, disciple, and love on the believers in Ephesus. Paul's interest is expressed that he wants to travel uh, to Jerusalem for the feast. Again, this, this ties in with the idea that most likely the vow was a Nazarite vow, and after Paul had cut his hair, he was going to go to Jerusalem and basically offer up the hair as an indication that his vow was, was complete. So Dr. Luke wraps up the second missionary journey of Paul. Paul lands in Caesarea. That's way down in, in ancient Israel, in the northern part of Israel, or what is now known, what is also known as Samaria. And then Paul proceeds to Jerusalem, likely in time, for one of the feasts, and then returns to his home church in Antioch in Syria, concluding his second missionary journey. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to, uh, to take You've a look. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.